Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. Since Easter, I've been taking part in the daily readings and devotion in the book Catch Fire in 50 Days by Blake Busick and Christy Latona, who are from the California-Nevada Conference of the United Methodist Church. The book's focus is on parts of the Gospels in the first 13 chapters of Acts, and they're all meant to immerse the reader in the story of how the church became a movement, and it's a movement that started the process of transforming the world. And as I pause and think about that, that's really our mission, isn't it? To make disciples of Jesus Christ, so through their relationships with Christ, combined with those of us who are already believers, well, together we can transform our broken world. At least I think that's the case. As I prepared to fill the pulpit this week at my wife's church, Central United Methodist Church in Lawrence, Kansas, I was really convicted by the lectionary text this week from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. It really made me think about what are we doing as the church, even amid this time of sheltering in place. What are we supposed to be doing now, And what can we do when we're all able to gather together again? I'd like to read the passage for you now. I've chosen to use The Message by Eugene H. Peterson. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good. A sheep rustler! The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All these others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Let's be clear to start off. The message is a paraphrase. It's not a word-for-word translation of the scriptures, 
But I like using the message in this kind of context when it comes to telling a story. Because I think the message puts the narrative in plain English so we can understand it a little better. Jesus is telling this story. And he's telling it to help his audience in the first century, and frankly, for us today, to better understand what he's talking about. You see, in this story, he's trying to tell us some profound truths about salvation, freedom that comes through a relationship with Christ, and about our role in that salvation, both for us and the role we can play in helping others. I hope that I can adequately explain for you where I'm coming from on this because it had such a profound impact on me this week as I was studying this text. We actually have two roles to play in this story, so I have two questions to ask you today. And frankly, I think you'll be sick of these questions by the time we're through, because I'm going to ask them a lot through here, but I want you to keep them in mind as you listen to what I have to say and as you consider this for yourselves. Which character are you now? And which character do you earnestly long to be? First, we need to understand the setting for this story. It's a sheepfold or sheep pen, basically the same thing. We often have these views of shepherds tending sheep in wide open fields or on mountainsides under the big sky, uh, and then at night they are laying down next to their sheep under the vast array of stars and the moon. But what was more likely the case is the sheep were tended to in the open air by day, and then the sheep could eat while the shepherd could watch over them. But at night, the sheep were often driven by the shepherd into a cave, or back toward a village or homestead. I have a photo on my website, toddseifert.com, of a ruin that shows what likely was the foundation of a house built next to a stone fence. Now, this wouldn't have been exactly like what Jesus was talking about, but it's the best illustration I could find to show a pen that adjoins a home. They aren't separated like you would see on an American farm today, but rather they're joined together with the home making up one of the walls of the fence. Shepherds would have brought the sheep back home to safety at night. And that's the illustration Jesus is painting for us in this story, bringing sheep home for safety in his presence. <laughs> now that we have a vision for this scene, let's look at the players in this story. Now, one of these is settled for us. Jesus makes it really easy when he's telling the story. He sees that his audience isn't quite grasping what he's trying to tell them, so he just comes out and says that he is the gate. The sheep must pass through him to get to safety for eternity. Now, we say he's the gate, but I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here and say that he's not just the gate, he's the gatekeeper. That way, if there's a personification issue and you don't want him to see Jesus as an inanimate object, you can do that and still have the same effect with this story. So whether he's the gate or the gatekeeper, the illustration is the same. He's the way in. And that leaves us with three other major characters, the sheep themselves, the shepherd, and the bandits, or the thieves. So those questions again, which are you now, and which do you want to be? It's kind of a trick question. You see, we all have dual roles that we play in this story, because we are all sheep. We all follow Jesus, the good shepherd. The questions I asked of you have to do with that second role. Are you a shepherd or a bandit? And which do you want to be? Let's look at that story again. The sheep are coming home. They're seeking refuge. The shepherd, the person guiding them, walks up to the gate to gain entrance for his or her flock. They encounter the gatekeeper, a person with a bit part in this story, but like I said, we're going to look at Jesus in this role. 
gate or gatekeeper, it's the same difference. He's the way in. Now, the shepherd is well known both to the gatekeeper and to the sheep. And we know that because Jesus explains the gatekeeper opens the gate willingly, indicating these two people have a relationship. The sheep also know the shepherd. They've been around him or her enough to recognize the voice. The shepherd knows the name of each sheep. There's an indication that this is a two-way communication and a mutual relationship. They know each other. At some point, though, there's a threat. Jesus makes note of a person climbing over or through the fence instead of going through the gate. And the message paraphrase calls this bandit a sheep rustler. I love that phrase. You don't see that very often in the Bible. Various translations of this passage use words like thief or outlaw or robber or even vandal. Jesus does a nice job of summing it up for us here. He says, all these others are up to no good. So we have a good shepherd and we have thieves. And remember those two questions. Which are you now and which do you want to be? Good shepherd versus thief. That seems like an easy decision. But do we understand what those two things actually mean? Or like Jesus' audience, do we need further explanation? Each of us can say, oh, I'm a good shepherd, sure, that's who I am, I'm certainly not a thief, but we have to realize that only God knows if that's really true, or if we're kind of lying to ourselves. Good shepherd or thief, which are you now, and which do you want to be? Luckily for us, Jesus, the good shepherd, the meaning singular, capital G, capital S, gives us a good explanation of what it means to be a good shepherd. A, meaning one of many, and then all lowercase. If we were to continue into the 10th chapter of John, Jesus shifts gears a bit and puts himself in the role of the good shepherd. He says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I give up my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. I must lead them too. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. What Jesus is saying is, a good shepherd knows his or her sheep, and they know him or her. In other words, a good shepherd builds relationships with a flock. And like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you have a flock, just like I have a flock. Everyone has a flock. Family members and friends, neighbors and colleagues we come into contact with, or at least we used to come in contact with them before the pandemic, and hopefully we'll get to come in contact with them again at some point. These are people we get to know in a number of different contexts, you know, like work, school, hanging out in the backyard or taking a walk in our neighborhoods. It might be the people on the golf course, in the coffee shop we frequent, or in the break room at work. These are people with whom we've built relationships. They listen to us, and we listen to them. There's a mutuality of respect because with effort and time, we've built bonds. Building relationships is a must for a good shepherd. And this means going beyond the cursory relationships of knowing their name, maybe a spouse's name, perhaps their favorite college basketball team. It means to truly know them. The kind of relationship that when things get really heavy and troublesome, they know they can count on you. And when the same thing happens to you, you know you can count on them. In other words, when the wolf enters their field and it puts them in danger, 
Do they know you well enough to seek you out for refuge? Being a good shepherd means you can be counted on to provide a shoulder to cry on, a word of encouragement, and maybe, just maybe, an invitation to learn more about who Jesus is and how he can open the gate to eternal safety through a relationship with him. Now that alone can be a daunting task, but there's even more. Remember what Jesus said, I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. I must lead them too. In other words, the people we must build relationships with get to know and support with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness as followers of Christ are not all like us. They might be people who don't live in our mostly white middle-class neighborhoods. Their skin might be a different shade than most of ours. They may not know where their next meal will come from or where they will sleep tonight. They may not speak English as their primary language. And most importantly, they may not know the life-saving grace that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. They haven't gone through the gate. They haven't met the gatekeeper. How many of us know people like that? I admit, I don't know enough. I really thought about that this week. To be a good shepherd, by Jesus' definition anyway, which, if we're honest with ourselves, that's really the only definition that matters, I know I have to do better. How about you? Next, let's look at the bandits. And none of us wants to see ourselves as the bad guy. And though sheep wrestling is and was a thing, we need to get to the heart of what Jesus means when he uses this illustration. Because I think Jesus was saying a lot less about actual thievery and a lot more about the motivations behind people who do those kinds of things. I have fond memories. When I was a kid, my dad watched a lot of John Wayne Westerns. And that means I watched a lot of John Wayne Westerns. That was particularly the case on cold Saturday afternoons in the winter. There was always a rustler or a land baron or a thief. And as I reflect on those characters, they all had one thing in common, basic greed. I think that's what Jesus is pointing out for his audience when he talks about the person who chooses not to go through the gate, through Jesus, to get to the sheep. It's a person who is putting themselves first in front of the welfare of others. In this case, it means the person doesn't have the best interest of his or her sheep at heart. I think that's where the truth gets tough for a lot of us. We all want to see ourselves as the good shepherd, but as we've discussed, that actually takes a lot of work to play that role. The bandit, well, nobody wants to see themselves in that role, but that's the one we easily fall into, isn't it? And it's easy to understand why. We get concerned about ourselves, we have responsibilities. We have struggles that we have to deal with every day. But you know what? All those good shepherds out there in the world, and thank God we have a lot of good shepherds, they face those same struggles. And yet they put their flock, their personal flock, their sheep, first. In terms of people, that means good shepherds put others first, even to the point of laying down their life for another. Now, I pray that none of us ever ask to lay down our lives for another person but we most certainly will be asked to make sacrifices. And I don't mean sacrifices for our loved ones. It's one thing to make a sacrifice for your children or for a spouse or even for a close, lifelong friend. It's quite another to make a sacrifice for someone whose plight you've only just heard of briefly or who you might not ever meet. We have to be willing to be a bit uncomfortable to do the job of being a good shepherd because being a good shepherd is hard work. Being a bandit's easy. It can be humbling, but ask yourself, do you see yourself as a bandit in Jesus' story? 
again our question, good shepherd or thief, which are you now? And the other question, which one do you want to be? So far we focused on the first of those two questions. And I suspect that as you study what we've shared today and as you read on in John 10 for yourselves, some of us, perhaps many of us, are eating a little bit of humble pie right now. It's eye-opening to come to grips with the idea that we're not living up to Jesus' expectations of us. I know that was the case for me as I wrestled with this text. To truly serve Jesus means we must bring others to the gate, to the gatekeeper, to the Savior. But how? Well, to be a good shepherd, we have to train to be a good shepherd. We wouldn't simply pick up a shepherd's staff, walk out into a field full of sheep, and immediately know what we're supposed to do. After all, the lives of those sheep depend on us. In this illustration, it's really the souls of those sheep, our personal flocks, that depend on us. So just as we can't walk out into a pasture and immediately know what to do as a good shepherd, likewise we can as Christians walk out into the mission field unprepared and do what we must for Jesus in the world today if we don't know what we're supposed to do. There are too many souls in this world who depend on us. And like I said, this is a tough job. Luckily, it's a very rewarding one. As part of our Lenten journey, our church here in Lawrence worked together through The Walk, a book about spiritual practices by the Reverend Adam Hamilton, lead pastor of United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas. Among those practices are reading scripture, spending time in prayer, serving others, attending worship, and giving generously. Those are great practices to consider daily by yourself and together as a small group or as a church. They will prepare you for your role as a good shepherd. It's the training that we all need, the training I was talking about earlier. One thing this pandemic has taught us is that we can't continue to do things in the old ways. The normal is going to be a new normal, no matter what it looks like. And so maybe some of those spiritual practices that I just mentioned are new to you, at least in terms of daily practice. At our church in Lawrence, uh, my wife, Reverend Amy Seifer, is going to be leading us through some Bible stories over the next few weeks, tales about how God led people from old ways, ways that had them putting themselves first without the best interest of their sheep or their personal flocks at heart, into new possibilities. You know, God proclaimed through the prophet Isaiah, Look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? I'm making a way in the desert paths in the wilderness. Let's focus on that idea of a new path. Perhaps that new path is for you. You as a good shepherd, for which to lead your flock, your personal flock of followers, to the gate, to the gatekeeper, to Jesus Christ. So good shepherd or thief, which are you now? But more importantly, which do you earnestly want to be? Something for you to consider this day and beyond. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, 
or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.